When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff. So come think with me. Uh, I just want to give a shout out before we get into today's topic to the Patreon patrons. You guys are awesome. Uh, if you guys have benefited from this podcast and you want to support it, then please consider becoming a Patreon uh, patron over uh, at my thing. You can find it in the link in the description. Another way is to subscribe on YouTube so you can find all these videos. Um, and then third, uh, super erogatory. This would be great. If you guys could go to Apple Podcasts, leave me a five-star review and a comment. The other day, someone left me a three-star three, three star comment for being too speculative. I was like, dude, I never said this was not a speculative show. It's Parker's Pensies. It's my thoughts. Like, what? So someone go and, and leave a five to, to countermand, to counteract that three-star bogus uh, nonsense. Today, I'm really excited because I have Chad McIntosh with me again. We're going to be talking about aliens and the Christian faith, and we're covering um, a, a co-authored paper that he worked on with Tyler McNabb uh, called Houston, Do We Have a Problem? Uh, alien Intelligence and Christian Faith, something like that. Before I get in, before I let him start talking, I did my podcast on this before they put out this paper, came to a lot of the same conclusions, just saying, you know, I'm not saying Chad did it, but but I don't know, Tyler was aware of my podcast, so um let's let's bring chad in chad thanks so thanks so much for coming on the podcast the hat is amazing oh, thanks for today. do i look prepared to talk about this or what yeah, you look fantastic man you're keeping all the uh all the the microwaves out of your out of your brain there yeah i'm getting roasted right now dude so so you guys wrote this paper um before we jump into some of the content um wh- why do you think aliens have like captured the the social imaginary why why are aliens such a hot topic today today yeah well i'm not sure about you know i mean there's always been some interest in this but mm-hmm. at least with respect to like the recent brouhaha i suspect nefarious or duplicitous intent on the part of our government to be honest okay. Interesting. i mean why why declassify intel on ufos now yeah. Uh, and, and what and what was, especially considering what was declassified, really didn't tell us anything new. No. Um, except that they they said they said they they can confirm the technology in question isn't U.S. technology, which. Yeah. Right. If you believe them on that. Yeah. Uh, sure. But no, I, I suspect that it's a poor attempt at diversion and distraction from how badly things are socially right now. Hmm. Um. Or I don't know, maybe maybe it's priming us for more government spending. I mean, did you see the recent uh, federal budget proposal? Six trillion dollars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who, who knows? You know, but yeah. but here's what I am. Here's what I do know. 
I'm much more confident that the government sucks mm-hmm. and deceptive than I am that UFOs are otherworldly. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so I think in like 2017, Marco Rubio asked like the somebody for a, a report on this. So like, hey, we need to know about this. And I don't know how you feel about Rubio, but I feel like he's a decent dude. Like he doesn't seem like a crazy lefty trying to, you know, uh, social engineer us or anything like that. And then recently that 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 uh, document came out during COVID that was like off or what was it? uh foreign objects whatever not made on earth and it was it was vague enough for all of us to go aliens of course (laughs) but it it could have been made like in a space station or anything like that Mm -hmm. so i i think a big part of it too is um is the joe rogan podcast man like millions and millions and millions of people watch and he's got you know bob lazar and captain uh david fravor and then do you remember the uh the storm area 51 i think that was 2019 yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> so good. So good. So it's back. And and the reason I did my first podcast, well, the reason I did my first podcast is because I get it from my students all day. They're like, well, what happens if they're aliens? You know, what about aliens? And they just pose it as if like that is an argument against Christianity. What yeah. if there's aliens? Yeah. And I, I, I like that you guys kind of motivated that and you drew out, hey, here's what we might be saying if that's an argument at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what 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 happened? Like, why did you guys write this paper? It's an academic paper. Yeah, well, the timing couldn't have been better because we began to put our heads together on this before all this came out, oh, before nice. all the new new stuff started coming out. And we had a draft. I mean, you know how slow academia moves. We we had a draft uh, submitted to journals, and it and it was rejected by two other journals before it got accepted to the, to to Philosophia Christi. You know how slow that process goes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you have not just like the the handling editor, editor but then you got the referee reports and all that stuff. But we were just independently interested in the topic, and we kind of found each other and we're like, "Hey, you're kind of a weirdo. You you <laughs> you're kind of weird for thinking about that. I'm kind of weird for thinking about that. Let's write. Let's write about this." Yeah. And and it turns out that uh, our paper our paper is going to be published like right when all this stuff is like just going crazy haywire on on social media and the internet and news so the timing couldn't have been more perfect just just to be in, independently interested in this yeah yeah that's that's awesome that it came out and i saw it on capturing christianity and uh i didn't listen to it until more recently and i was like dude you guys came to like a lot of the same conclusions as me uh you guys did bring up really really interesting uh the evidential problem of evil and how aliens might uh, impact that and make it worse. So I want to get there eventually, but I thought maybe we could start with the Fermi paradox, which I covered in, in my podcast. Uh, Chad, are you, are you familiar at all with this, with this uh, paradox paradox, yeah. right? Yeah. I have a passing familiarity with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for those who, who don't know, it's, it's a uh, Enrico Fermi is just this genius of a man insane. the way he reasons. Some people might think it's pedantic or, or, whatever but it's it's like he's an inductive reasoner to the max and he'll take all these random things and put them together and come up with a pretty good answer for for these random questions like how many piano tuners are there in chicago you know come to a conclusion it's like dude that's that's not bad but his the the fermi paradox is about aliens there's all these uh apparently habitable planets uh if, if every star has its own planet there's tons and tons and billions of stars then, you know, a certain amount of those have to have 
the same conditions that earth does, you know, so there should be these aliens and he goes through all these different things. Uh, later word, uh, afterwards, the Drake equation uh, was invented to, to try to flesh out what Fermi was getting at. But basically it's, if there's all these habitable planets, which should promote life like ours, where is everybody? And given that they're apparently older than us, they should be more developed than us. We should be getting their signals, but where is everyone? And so uh, how about the, the Drake equation, Chad? Are you familiar with that at all? Yeah. And so in the Capturing Christianity podcast, you were saying this one just does not move you mm-hmm. at all. And and it was funny because Tyler kind of was moved by it. And so um, in the Drake equation, you have the average rate of star, star formation in our galaxy, the fraction of those stars which have planets, the average number of planets that can uh, potentially support life per star that has planets, the fraction of planets that could support life that actually develop at some point, the fraction of planets uh, with life that actually go on to develop intelligent life, like ours, the fraction of civiliz- civilizations that develop technology that releases detectable signs of the evidence in space, and then the length of time for which such civilizations release detectable signals in the space. So it's it's just a formulation of how you can think about this. And what people say is, given all these uh, different criteria and, and our priors as we plug them in, we should be seeing aliens and yet we're not Um, the product the product of all of those variables together equals the number of civilizations in our galaxy that we should expect to be communicable by now yeah yeah and then well if you add this principle of mediocrity that like the earth isn't some special place it's it's a pretty average planet um given all the different planets that that potentially are out in the universe then there should be others so so why why you got beef with this, Chad? I think I'm probably with you, but why why don't you like the Drake equation and the Fermi paradox? Well, why aren't you moved by it? Yeah. Say that last part again. Why why aren't you moved by it? I guess. Yeah. Oh well, the problem is, apart from from the first variable, which is the average rate of star formation in our galaxy, which is just an which is basically a known value. Yeah. Um. The only other two variables are the next two, the the fraction of stars that have planets mm-hmm. uh, in our galaxy and the average number of planets that can potentially potentially support life uh, yeah. that has, that has planets. Those are the only valuables in the whole equation that can have real data plugged into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as John Barrow and Frank Tipler explain, since those variables can in principle be determined by direct astrophysical measurement measurement, the fact that aliens are not present in our solar system allows us to – and they explain all this in great detail. Mm-hmm. It allows us to, to, to obtain an upper bound to the product of the remaining variables. Uh, and, and those remaining variables all depend on biological and sociological likelihoods about aliens, which yeah. we – at least the sociological aspects, we, we just have very little idea what to expect – but the biological aspect is what really hangs me up. But even before I get to the biological stuff, let's think for a minute about the first um, uh, in sub e, which is which or, or, or the 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 one variable there uh, in sub e, which is the average number of planets that can potentially support life per star, uh, commonly referred to as exoplanets. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just think about this variable for a minute. When I was writing this paper with Tyler. I reached out to my old astronomy professor at Calvin College, Larry Molnar, and I asked him about 
current estimates on the number of habitable exoplanets. And he said that uh, you just can't trust popular science writing on this. Yeah. Uh, their, their number is just routinely exaggerated, uh, which isn't surprising. And they often just count as an exoplanet uh, any old planet that happens to be orbiting a star. But habitability depends on so many other conditions than right. just a planet orbiting a star, right? Uh, so m- he says that more sober estimates on the number of exoplanets out there uh, indicate that Earth is rare, but probably not totally unique. Okay. Uh, so, so the estimate there is lower than most think, probably. But, but even even regardless of the number of exoplanets, the real hangup is uh, is the biological factors. I mm. mean, to me, th- this is huge. This is impossibly insurmountable. And as they explain in their book, um, astrophysicists and astronomers are much more optimistic about the existence of aliens. Let's just call alien. Let's just refer to aliens throughout this podcast as intelligent extraterrestrial creatures. Right. Yeah. Um, Comparable to information processing ability to that of human beings, homo sapiens. Okay. So that's what we mean by aliens in this, not Not like amoebas or. Yeah. yeah, Right. right. Okay. So um, they say that astrophysicists and astronomers are much more optimistic about the existence of aliens uh, than are evolutionary biologists. And, they survey various physiological prerequisites for uh, for the evolution of intelligent species like ourselves. And here's what here's what they report. Um, now this is from their book, uh, Anthropic Cosmological Principle. And if you don't have this book, you really should read it. It's just a landmark on so many. I mean, it's, the the breadth of this book is just is is incredible. Um, they say this for the above reasons and many others which we omit for reasons of space, there's developed a general consensus among evolutionists that the evolution of intelligent life comparable in information processing ability to that of Homo sapiens is so improbable that it's unlikely to have occurred on any other planet in the entire visible universe. Hmm. And, and they go on to give their own arguments for, to, to buttress that same conclusion. So um, I'm skeptical for that reason. Yeah. But, uh, we can go even further and add a philosophical wrinkle here. Even if, and I, I think you'll appreciate this, um, yeah. Parker, is uh, even if complex biological life did evolve elsewhere, um, that it should be comparable in intelligence and mm-hmm. information processing ability as us requires many more improbable assumptions. And so, uh, I mean, this this is one of the, the lessons of Plantinga's evolutionary argument against naturalism. Right. Uh, if you buy that argument, and I think it's a good argument, uh, uh, one of the main conclusions is that the survival and having true beliefs aren't necessarily correlated, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no reason to think that natural selection favors true beliefs. So you could have a species. That means it's possible to have a species just as anatomically complex as us and yet they would be like phenomenal zombies. Yeah. Uh, they would be like or, – or true belief zombies, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look and act like us, but they, but they just have no true beliefs. Uh, and maybe they don't have no true beliefs because, because they don't have any beliefs at all. They, they're just phenomenal zombies. So lights are on, but no one's home, uh, just like non-rational animals. So even if complex biological life has evolved elsewhere, 
adding phenomenal consciousness and and the belief forming mechanisms aimed at true belief uh, on top of that, it just strains credulity to me. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think uh, I mean I'm pretty sure Plantinga brings that up in in one of his iterations of of the evolutionary argument that he, he brings in uh, aliens from Alpha Centauri or, or something like that. It makes the same uh, similar point. It's after his witch, his witch one or whatever. But so, so basically um, we're chipping away at the principle of mediocrity saying that earth isn't as mediocre as, as you need for the Drake equation to motivate all these, the, the paradox, the Fermi paradox. Yeah. Okay. So, so earth I mean, in your mind, Earth is the a Goldilocks planet. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It has yeah. to be by definition. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Do you think we you you talked about well, this a little well, bit? Well, Goldilocks before. doesn't mean it's it's totally unique. There could be other Goldilocks planets. Okay, but yeah. but there wouldn't be as many as uh, which. So if there are you know way less, then the Fermi paradox wouldn't be. Uh, as paradoxical because yeah there maybe it's really hard to get to us maybe they're on the other side maybe all sorts of stuff okay yeah that's, that's right yeah yeah chad when you think about this are you bringing in theological commitments at all like do you, are you uh are you a um theistic evolutionist yourself or anything like that uh i'm not bringing in any theological i mean nothing i said above is uh, for right. my to motivate my skepticism is theological mm-hmm. even though that is what people would assume I mean, I, one of the things that got me interested in this topic is years ago, I was sitting by uh, a campfire uh, with next to my uncle, mm-hmm. and he has watched. He's one of these types that that just watches way too many History Channel shows. Yeah, and he goes, he's going off on a, how aliens built the pyramids and all this stuff. And I was registering my skepticism about this, and he says, "Well, you're just skeptical because you're religious, aren't you?" And I was just like, "Well, no. Uh, not only is that like the genetic fallacy." Uh, that's just, uh, that's just not my reasons for being skeptical. Uh, and, and, uh, I mean, it's understandable though. I mean, for whatever reason, polls have shown that there's a positive correlation between religiosity and skepticism about aliens. The more religious you are, the more skeptical you are about the existence of aliens. Uh, and to me, that just doesn't come into it. Uh, I mean, if anything, if aliens exist or if there's evidence, I I think the, the, let me put it this way. The best reason to think that there are aliens is theological. It's not scientific. Hmm. So uh, in fact, some philosophers and theologians argue that the existence of a perfectly good God is extremely good evidence that there are aliens uh, because he would want to diffuse his goodness all throughout the universe. Yeah. Um, by creating other intelligent species and so forth. Uh, I don't know if I buy those arguments, but if, yeah, if, if I think there are aliens, I think uh, that's just evidence, more evidence for theism. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I, I want to get into to some more of that in a little bit, but um, do, you, do you think, like, just personally, man, do you think there are aliens out there, or do you think we're alone in the universe? <laughs> uh, I think that if they exist they would be so remote in the universe as to be undetectable, even by communicative technologies like radio signals. Mm. Um, but like I said, I think the question to me is more theological than scientific. If, if aliens exist, that's just more evidence for theism piled on top of uh, uh, the tons of evidence we already have for theism. Um, 
And so I'd have to think about it theologically. I don't think there's any conflict theologically. I, 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 I would just have to really buckle down and study those reasons given for thinking that if God exists, there would be aliens. Right. You know, uh, Rob Collins, for example, thinks that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got an article where he defends this position. God's goodness basically requires that there be uh, vast numbers of aliens out there. Uh, I'm just not, I just don't know what I think about those arguments. Um, yeah. I'm just, I'm sort of agnostic on the question, I guess. Okay. What about you? Well, dude, yeah, I, I, um, I think I get the religious uh, incredulity because it's kind of like a, a geocentrism type argument where it's like, well, we, we're the center of the story. Yeah. Maybe we're not the center of the universe yeah. anymore. Right. Maybe the sun's not the center of the universe. Okay. So we're graduating, but we're the center of the whole story. And so, yeah, if and I think it's kind of that growing up, I'm not there anymore. I think that there there might be, and and I'm really similar to uh, to you and Tyler. I came to those conclusions likewise. Mm-hmm. But you know, growing up, it was like, well, if there are aliens, then it seems like, and you guys broached this uh, as well in the paper. It seems like it's a, a plot hole, or it's like uh, this yeah. doesn't quite fit, or we're the special ones. But now you're telling me that there's aliens that are much more. Uh, intelligent than us because they were able to travel and we didn't, you know, if they come to us, then it seems like there's something wrong that we're supposed to be the peak. So just what I, something that, that hit me when I was reading scripture, I was like, well, I don't know that angels are made in God's image. You know, I think uh, maybe that's, that's part of Catholic doctrine that they are, but different denominations believe different things. I don't know that they are. If they're not, then there's uh, another life form that is, not made in God's image, that seems smarter than us, at least in the fact that Satan tempted Adam and Eve and they fell, craftier than us. And yet we're still the the centerpiece. We're still made in God's image and, and he's not. We're redeemed. And it doesn't seem like he is. So just because there's an uh, uh, intelligent life form that's smarter than us doesn't mean that we lose our place in the story or our position as God's image bearers. And so just having that from the Bible itself was like, oh, well, then that's no big deal. Yeah, well, th- you know th- that they would be smarter than us is actually Jill Tarter's reason for thinking there is some sort of incompat- incompatibility here. Mm-hmm. Jill Tarter, she she is the the former director of SETI, Search oh, SETI, for yeah. Intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, and, and she thought that if we discovered that aliens exist, that would undermine the world's religions because if they exist, they they'd be technologically they'd probably be technologically superior to us. So we'd abandon our own belief systems and just adopt theirs. But again, I mean, who, who's who's to say that uh, they wouldn't have a natural theology even more sophisticated than us? Yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, I mean, and besides that, that argument is just about the psychological impact that discovery of aliens would aliens would have on us. It's that's that's not an argument for philosophical or theological conflict between aliens and Christian belief. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. And there's nothing, well, I don't care really if it destroys every other religion, but I'm a Christian. So, right. So I, there's nothing in Christianity that says that we are the smartest beings. We are the most capable beings. And we actually have counter evidence to that in Genesis uh, two and or Genesis three, where Satan is craftier. He outsmarts, the arch, you know, uh, humans. Yeah. So yeah. it's just right away. If, if, if we're going the theological route, we shouldn't be that upset by that. 
Yeah. Um, but what else can you help motivate some other, like some other conflict? Like why, why else might there be conflict? Yeah. Uh, in the paper we use as a springboard, the, this passage from Thomas Paine's book, the age of reason, mm-hmm. where he pre- he presents what we interpret as a reductio ad absurdum argument against Christianity based on the existence of aliens. And, and uh, I have the passage pulled up here. I'll read it uh, real quick. Um, it says this, To believe that God created a plurality of worlds, at least as numerous as what we call stars, renders the Christian system of faith at once little and ridiculous and scatters it in the mind like feathers in the air. The two beliefs cannot be held together in the same mind, and he who thinks that he believes both has thought but little of either. From whence then could arise the solitary and strange conceit that the Almighty, who had millions of worlds equally dependent on his protection, should quit the care of all the rest and come to die in our world, because they say one man and one woman had eaten an apple. And on the other hand, we are to suppose that every world in the boundless creation had an Eve, an apple, a serpent, and a redeemer. In this case, the person who is irreverently called the Son of God, and sometimes God himself, would have nothing else to do than to travel from world to world in an endless succession of deaths and scarcely a momentary interval of life. (laughs) So... I mean, uh, uh, if we cut through all the colorful prose, yeah, uh, we reconstruct this argument uh, this way. Premise one, if Christianity is true and there is extraterrestrial intelligent life, then either only humanity falls or all intelligent life falls. Mm-hmm. That's the dilemma. Uh, premise two, but it's absurd to think that either only humanity falls or all intelligent life falls. And, and, and this is absurd – uh, it's absurd to think that only humanity falls, he says, because then God would quit the care of all other worlds where intelligent life exists to come rescue humanity. Uh, and it's absur- absurd to think all intelligent life falls because then God, God's saving events, such as the incarnation and atonement, would would be like a traveling tent show, yeah. uh, you know, playing one night stands from one world to the next. So, so he concludes, therefore, it's false that Christianity is true and, and there isn't extraterrestrial intelligent life now uh it doesn't take an, a very astute person to realize that there this argument hinges on a lot of assumptions yeah that uh that the the christian just doesn't have to accept um i mean the first obvious one is that if there are extraterrestrial intelligent life if there is an extraterrestrial intelligent life out there then um, they wouldn't fall. Only humanity falls. Why think that? Right. Right. Um, and, and, and obviously God, if that's true, God needn't quit the care of those other worlds just because he come, becomes incarnate on earth. That's what's so weird. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. follow that. Like why he just doesn't get the doctrine of the incarnation, but yeah. God yeah. is not, not omnipresent anymore. He didn't in an incarnation. Christians <laughs> don't think that, yeah, all the worlds fall out of whack because of that. Yeah. He seems to assume that the incarnation uh, obliterates God's omnipresence and omniscience or something. It's right. yeah, I don't, yeah. Another another uh, dubious assumption is that all intelligent life would be fallen and need to be saved. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've probably read C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. Yep. 
where he perfectly coherently imagines there being unfallen creatures in an un, in, a, in a fallen universe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so even if the fall on Earth did have cosmic scope, it affected all of creation. That doesn't mean that all intelligent life falls. Yeah, that means that humanity falls. Um, so that's a dubious assumption. Well, then likewise, too, the incarnation scope could be, if that were the case, and all of the universe falls and is bonded to corruption, then likewise, anything that's redeemed in Christ could be, it could be everything. It could be he's making new heavens and new earth. And right. Uh So the scope of the atonement doesn't have to be limited to just earth if the scope of the fall were, you know, uh, out to the whole universe. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, that's a consideration that maybe if the atonement, you know, Plan, Alvin Plantinga has this great paper called O Felix Culpa, O Glorious yeah. Fall, where he considers how the events of the gospel, incarnation, atonement, and so forth, actually are great making features of a world. They, they increase the value of a world. Mm-hmm. So if we have these gospel events on multiple different worlds, that would increase the value of this, this universe even more. Yeah. So yeah, why not? Another dubious assumption is that uh, all intelligent life would be saved if they're fallen only by incarnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, maybe the incarnation was fitting was a fitting way to save humanity, but maybe God can save the other alien species in some other way. Uh, mm-hmm. Or, uh, or maybe that maybe God can become incarnate simultaneously on all these planets. Uh, and 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 if each of them have their own uh, alien bodies, God becomes incarnate on on each planet in in a unique alien body. Um, but really, I think any argument against the the compatibility of of Christian belief and aliens is going to come down to the main this main assumption, which is that there cannot be multiple incarnations. Hmm. This is really the key assumption that Payne makes, and I've seen in what I've seen other arguments make for incompatibility. There cannot be multiple incarnations. Um, but why, first, why think why why do people think that? I don't understand. Like that's not motivated for me at all. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. I mean, the only people you see defending this that there can't be multiple incarnations are non Christians. But aren't yeah. Christians the ones right. who? who should have the best handle on what their doctrines teach right. and the logical implications of their doctrine. I mean, no, there's, there's a legitimate and strong argument from authority against this assumption. No theologian, almost no theologian or philosopher has thought that the doctrine of the incarnation is incompatible with possible, the possibility of multiple incarnations. Thomas Aquinas didn't, uh, Bodaventure didn't, uh, a bunch of other church fathers didn't. I can't think of a single, philosopher today who's written on the incarnation who thinks that it's incompatible with multiple incarnations possibility of multiple such um but let's just grant for the sake of argument that it is impossible Mm -hmm. uh that if god becomes incarnate it's only possible once why not think that god's saving work while incarnate in one world would not be sufficient to redeem all fallen species in all worlds right? right Right. Uh, so, I mean, if Christ saved, if Christ's saving work here on Earth saved humanity, and what it means to be human is just to be a rational animal, as Aristotle thought, then all intelligent species 
us and and aliens would just be human you know right they would we we would qual we would all qualify as human on aristotle's definition yeah. uh and so be included in christ's saving work uh even if it just occurred once so this this assumption is is as dubious as it is essential to his argument yeah that's great man that's a great point i i think even d- depending on how you look at theophanies whether all theophanies or christophanies in the old testament stuff like that like Whatever we say, there was a fourth man in the fiery furnace, right? Uh, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, whether that's figurative language or whatever. Uh, at least there's there's a couple. Jacob wrestled with with God. And that, that is a incarnation. Maybe it's not the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, which I, I think probably all theophanies are Christophanies. But it doesn't have to be. But so we just know from, from Christian theology, reading our Bibles, that like multiple incarnations are are possible. And so yeah. it's it just is a really weird one for me. That yeah, that would be so uh, prevalent in in someone's argument, right? Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I totally agree. Another thing, uh, I uh, I was just randomly thinking about. I think all of the arguments so far that you've been putting forward also um, go against or, or motivate uh, incredibly towards conflict between uh, a multiverse and and Christian theology, right? So like, there's a multiverse. Well, now we shouldn't believe in Christian theology because there's billions of other universes. But it seems like if the other universes, the, the same arguments apply to them. Maybe the other universes didn't fall. Maybe this one did. Or maybe if all of them did fall because of something here, say, likewise, the atonement can, uh, its scope doesn't need to be limited to this uh, universe, but yeah. to the full multiverse. What do, what do you make of the multiverse objection there? Well, it would fall under the same category of the arguments earlier, the the arguments that suggest the principle of plenitude, mm-hmm. which is the idea that it's the nature of goodness to suffu- to, to, to spread itself out. And the same philosophers and theologians who think that the principle of plenitude implies that there would be uh, numerous intelligent species throughout the universe – would think that the, uh, that's also evidence that there's a multiverse. Yeah. Uh, there, th- there's a very uh, rapidly growing uh, literature in, in philosophy of religion on the axiology of theism. Mm-hmm. And one of the main sub sort of areas of exploration going on here is whether or not theism understood as, as commitment to uh, a morally perfect, a, a perfectly good being entails a multiverse because of this principle of plenitude uh, where goodness is the nature of goodness to spread itself out as, as far as possible. Yeah. So that one, that one's interesting, interesting to me because I've, I did my master's thesis on the uh, authorial analogy of the God world relation. And so people have been saying, Hey dude, you need to check this out. Cause if God's willing to write, write one story and it, I do take uh, planning as uh, Felix Culpa and say, you know, it's, it's part of the story. God's telling a, better story than if there were not evil included. And yeah. so they've said, well, you need to really look into the arguments you just brought up. Maybe God is uh, is writing tons of stories because if he is this good God, why would he just write one story? And it's like, well, maybe I'm just not moved by it. I don't really understand the, um, the force of those because he's a perfect author. He could write one. He's a perfect creator. He could make billions of them or he could make one universe. So I'm not sure why people want to say – because of his goodness, this principle of plenty, he would have to, or it would emanate yeah. from him or necessitate. Or, or another, another thought is like, look, if, 
the gospel has been told has been called the greatest story ever told. Mm-hmm. And and Planiga added that it's the greatest story that ever could be told. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So if it's the greatest story that ever could be told, then you only need to tell it once. Yeah, <laughs> right. 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 Uh, what gets added if by by t- by retelling it over and over and over again? Yeah, dude, that's a really great point. For for us, we like we like telling stories. If someone's in the someone's thinking, you know, yeah, but we tell the same stories. We watch The Matrix a billion times, or whatever. Yeah, it's the same story. Still, you're not adding yeah. to it. Yeah. You, you we and also we're finite creatures, and and we experience it differently. And we're whether you're a perspectivalist or something, there's different perspectives going on. We need to watch it with different people. That changes stuff. But if God's this perfect storyteller, yeah, you're right. He he wouldn't add uh, doing it again. Wouldn't add to it. Otherwise, you end up in this weird position of like he's never able to stop doing that, right? Then we we could never limit it without like a Sorites paradox or whatever, right? Of like why why would he stop here? Maybe one billion and one. There's no perfect amount of storytelling then. You reminded me of this great quote by G.K. Chesterton. I'm trying to look it up. Um, I think I might have found it. Okay. I'm psyched. I always love some some Chesterton in my life. Yeah. Um, okay. Here it is. And this might be a reason to think that God does want to retell the story over and over again. Okay. 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 This is a quote. I think this is the right one. Okay. Yeah, this is from his book, Orthodoxy. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-ups, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grow old, for we have sinned and grown old. But our father is younger than we. Hmm. Yeah, dude, that's a great quote. I I love that one too. The the do it again. That's <clears throat> he's he's the man. He's so good. But yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point too. Just because we don't like the monotony of it doesn't mean God wouldn't. And I think also another interesting thing about thinking of God as a storyteller is that he's not just when we think of when we conceive of God as a perfect being. Sometimes uh, we think of him as boring. Like he's just this, this, he's this thing when we're studying him. Uh, but if he is a person and he's more praise, the original person and he's a storytelling God, then he's much more interesting than sometimes he's, he's, um, he's portrayed in, in philosophy of religion literature. And not just that, but what, what's one of the central things that we know about God? It's that he's creative, yeah. right? Right. Uh, and that uh, this this creative spirit that he brought to uh, reality, um, and not just a, not just creativity, but art, uh, an artistic uh, element to reality. Uh, mm-hmm. All these things speak to uh, something that that might that might speak to him telling the story more and more and more and more. I don't know. And well, I think that's true. And and he also created us 
as perceivers to see, uh, dude, you and me to see an alligator snapping turtle and be like, wow, right? To 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 have the yeah. wow factor. He didn't have to do that. He didn't yeah. have to make us like that, but he did make us to do that, which is sweet. Yeah. Um, real quick, man, just a, a side tangent here. We we talk about planning a lot. Didn't did you ever have planning when you were at at Calvin? I did. I I had him for a class, one or two classes. Uh, at least I know I took his class on when he was still in draft form writing where the conflict really lies. Oh, no way. That's and awesome. so, so we got a, an early draft of that book. I got it in like spiral. It's like spiral bound. It's not even published. And uh, he's got uh, his signature and everything written on it. Wow. Uh, and while he was there, you know, I, I got the, he was hanging around the department. I got to do a lot of things with him. I'm so grateful for this. Uh, I got to go to Calvin's rock climbing wall with him several times. He was, <laughs> I mean, he was like nearly 80 years old and, and I'm like belaying him, you know, on no the- way, dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, he has a, a beach house on, on the shores of Lake Michigan and it's seasonal, right? And you don't go there in the winter, but in the summer, but when you show up in the summer, like just mounds of sand cover like tons of the property. And so he paid me and a few other Calvin grads, to go out and just shovel sand for him one day. I helped him move to move him, move him into his new house in Grand Rapids. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Dang, that's awesome, man. You you told a story somewhere, maybe online, about um, oh man, what's there's a there's a philosophy website. You sign up for it, and they email you over and over and over and over. <laughs> it, it, LinkedIn, yeah. Oh, it's LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah, I I, I I don't know how this happened, but somehow I got caught up in this LinkedIn. Uh, spamming network and uh, one day I'm in the Calvin department and Alvin planning and marches up to me says Chad uh, I received uh, an email from you from uh, encouraging me to sign up for a LinkedIn account I was just like <laughs> that's awesome uh, oh yeah I like, I'm that's, sorry <laughs> that was a great impression too man that's exactly how he sounds I love that yeah, uh, that's so good. Okay, well, we're getting back to it. We we got to talk more planning uh, and stories later. But um, okay, so we we have. I just want to bring this up that in in the Christian community, we go for some weird stuff. Uh, a lot of people would would a lot of people are saying that aliens. There's there's all this phenomena, right? There's there's people saying and and sworn affidavits and stuff from from military men that. There's a UFO. Or they call them something else now, UAD or some something. Yeah. But um, saying that there's these UFOs, and so growing up in in evangelical circles, I'm still an evangelical. I love evangelicals, but we believe some crazy stuff sometimes. It was just assumed that any kind of UFO was demonic activity to deceive us. And yeah, there's going to be some time later where where UFOs come down and they're trying to lead people astray, and it's it's demonic activities. It has to be demonic activity. Um, so that's one way that people, that people account for this kind of stuff. Do you think that there is any evidence, uh, of UFOs or is this all just a big smoke screen from the government? Oh, I don't, I don't know if it's all a big smoke screen. I mean, I think these videos are of something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's, it's other, I I don't think it's otherworldly. I think the evidence that the, they are aliens is bad. Okay. But I also, although I, I want to acknowledge the possibility that there could be demonic activity involved, that was something that surprised me. When Tyler and I first put this paper out, uh, we got a lot of feedback from Christians saying that demonic activity explains UFO phenomena. And that 
I, I, I didn't grow up in church. I, I didn't grow up a Christian. So I didn't get that sort of exposure, I guess, to that, that sort of background on how Christians think about UFOs. I, that, yeah. so that, that hit me out of like left field. I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to, you have to explain that one to me, but apparently yeah. this is a very popular view and yeah. uh, I don't really know what to make it. I haven't looked into it. I don't, I mean, I, I certainly, I mean, I've read the Bible. I can say that there's, there's a very, any biblical case that you want to make that there are, or are not aliens. is going to be crummy. I mean, the Bible is not concerned with that topic. Uh, So it would be more odd if the Bible did mention aliens. So I just don't see the Bible having really anything to say about this topic. I I think you're probably right, though. Right now, as people watch this on YouTube, there are going to be comments flooding in from my nut job uh, followers because some of you guys are insane. And you've already talked about it. I've seen you guys in the comments. Not nut job. I mean, if that's what they were raised no, no, no. Some of them are nut jobs. I'm saying like, not just like the typical answer. I'm saying like people will go, they've spent their whole lives um, studying this and they're going to go in and it's like, they're wearing the tinfoil hat, not ironically. And I love you guys. Thanks for subscribing. But some of you are nuts. And I, there's one dude in particular, you should know who you are by now. But the 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 chariot that separated Elijah and uh, Elisha and Elijah, like it's a UFO. Man, that's a UFO. And we have all this information. It's like the crazy alien dude, the meme, who's like aliens, right? Oh, yeah, These yeah, guys. Yeah. So there are definitely um, people who will find it. Michael Heiser's, um, we, we talked about this off air, but he's like a, a respected scholar who would say that alien activity, I, I think he says, is, is demonic. Um, I have to look up his stuff more. I really don't know his arguments at all. Read it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the name referenced in relation to this topic, but I have not read it. So yeah. Uh, know what to say about it yeah 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 okay so um so it i'm i agree with you that i don't think scripture says one way or the other uh though if aliens came down and started talking with us intelligent beings um i'm open to reinterpreting some stuff and they say hey you know that was us uh in the chariot and you guys thought it was a chariot but it was way early in your civilization you didn't have the categories for it yeah i'm I, i would be open to that as well okay yeah, yeah that, that would be that would just be subsumed within some form of progressive revelation. Yeah. Uh, in the okay. same way that we can go back and, and see and interpret certain theophanies in the Old Testament as as Christophanies. Yeah. OK, well, there's another aspect. I'm not sure if you guys if you guys touched on this or not, but I thought about um, testimony. And so the aliens come down and they say, hey, um, actually, we're your creators. We there's this thing called panspermia oh yeah this idea of panspermia where where uh, uh um a, what is it called a asteroid comes with with yeah. seeds of intelligent life or seeds of life and it spreads right. out and, and then there's directed panspermia and this is that aliens directed a comet or asteroid or even just a pod and it mm-hmm. spread life everywhere what happens if if aliens come down and, and say Hey, directed panspermia. We, your guys are in our fishbowl basically, and we're, we've been keeping an eye on you. This is kind of what Joe Rogan thinks, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I mean, again, that wouldn't change the validity or soundness of any of the, any of the theistic arguments. Um, it's not like, oh, directed panspermia is true, therefore the principle of sufficient reason is false. Hmm. Like, how does that follow, right? Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, look, let's let's suppose that the alien species comes down and says, yes, we are, we, we are the true 
fathers of the human race. You know, we, 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 I mean, this is, isn't this the premise of alien uh, or Prometheus? Well, anyway, oh, it might be, it might be Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I mean, it's like we could just as well engage them on, you know, which premise of the Kalam that they deny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and if they, if, if they respond to the Kalam by saying, well, if everything has a cause, then what caused God? Then I think we can doubt that, uh, they really are superior oh. species, right? <laughs> right, right. That's good. Well, I thought about how we, we still have to do the same. We have to use the same tools for evaluating their testimony that we do with everyone else. So just because they came down and said, hey, directed panspermia is the reason that you're here. We still, like you said, we still have these other proofs for God's existence. Um, but But likewise, why should I believe you? Just because you're more advanced than me doesn't mean you're not more advanced at lying and deceiving than I, right? Like you, how do I know you're telling me the truth? I'm just supposed to take it because you're advanced that you are telling me the truth. Maybe if they showed us charts and stuff like that. Okay. But even if they do that, then I have secondary causation. Hey, God created us through you guys by directed panspermia, but God ordains the ends and the means. And so you're his means as well. I mean, you might, I think you that probably that sort of view probably would. I don't know. I'd have to really think about it whether it would conflict with any anything in scripture. But if anything, I just see that as uh, toying with our view of the inspiration of scripture. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, Augustine has a large gap uh, in in the days of Genesis and, and sees them uh, more figuratively, and and so it's just something he he. Yeah. Didn't allow. Yeah, we'd have to start wrestling through those kind of uh, ideas, but it, it doesn't disprove the existence of God. It doesn't. Right. And, and all the proofs that we have, we still would have to talk about those. Well, how do you guys right. explain this and that? And, right. and like you said, maybe they come down. Uh, you and Tyler said maybe they come down and only Alex Proust uh, is smart enough to talk with them. Right. right. Yeah. Or okay. I, I said in, in my podcast, uh, similar to what you said about Kalam, but, you know, I, 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 I said the aliens come down and they say, well, you guys don't. There's people here who don't believe in God. Have you guys not looked up at the stars? Surely yeah. you, some, one of your philosophers has said, you know, look at the starry skies above or the moral law within. Right. And then they just pick up shop and they leave because there are people here who don't believe <laughs> in God. So primitive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so so we got that one. We got testimony. We still have to test them for, for telling mm-hmm. us the truth or not. Um, what I didn't cover, which I thought was so interesting, I had no idea about, was the... Uh, was Sam, I don't know how to say it, Rumkoffs? Rumkorfs? Uh, I'm not sure how to say it either. I never had to say it out loud, yeah. Yeah, Rumkorf, maybe? So he has a, a ETI in the problem of evil, extraterrestrial intelligence, and um, the evidential problem of evil. Can you lay that out for us and we can sure. we can jump in? Yeah, so recently this philosopher, Sam Rumkorf, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, he argued that if aliens exist, then that would make the problem of evil even worse, because that would imply that there's not just more suffering and evil in the universe, but even worse suffering and evil than there is here on Earth. Well, why? Uh, he gives this analogy. Um, if a small tribe believed that they were the only people on Earth, they should also think that the tallest person in the tribe is the tallest person on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Now, but if they learn that there are many other tribes on the earth, then they should infer that there's probably somewhere else. There's probably someone tall somewhere else in some other tribe. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, now, by the same reasoning, if there are a lot of aliens out there in the universe, then it would be likely that there's even worse suffering and evil out there uh, in the universe than there is here on Earth uh, on these other alien planets. So that that's that's the very basic gist of his argument. Yeah. And so if if that were the case, it would exacerbate this this problem because now you have way, way, way more evil and uh, I intuitively, I guess I can grasp it. Uh, ju- I can see where he's getting at. People will bring this up with uh, animal suffering. Yeah, uh, you know, there's animal suffering before the fall, or, or and we're getting stepping on all sorts of people's beliefs here. But um, it's like that. But imagine now animal suffering on a billion trillion planets. Yeah, uh, and just for for no reason. Well, uh, not just. And, yeah, I mean, add add animal suffering and and of course human suffering with yeah. I mean, intelligent add, life. Yeah, you know, like, smarter than us. Maybe maybe they can experience way yeah. more evil than we can. Oh, yeah, yeah. But but then you just go, where is this maybe coming from? Where why is your priors drawing you to that conclusion? What if it's all to me? It seems like you can just do the skeptical theist theist route, or you can just hey, wh- why think that? Why think that because we have suffering here? There has to be worse suffering somewhere else. Well, that follows from what he calls the Copernican principle. Okay. Which is ah. it's the underlying principle of why the tribe, upon learning that there are a bunch of other tribes, that evidence undermines the belief that the tallest person in one's own tribe is the tallest person on the planet. Yeah. And the underlying principle is there there is a is what's called the Copernican principle. Uh and it's the same principle that that's at work here that he uses to uh, infer that there's probably worse evil somewhere else. Okay. And and that's why it's, it's um, evidential because there's probability. Like there's still a chance yeah. that the, the tribesman is he's eight, eight foot nine, whatever he actually is, right, yeah. but he's, but he's probably not because this, the, yeah. the inductive reasoning at play. Yeah. I mean, some, some tribe has to have the tallest person, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Okay. That so that undermines your evidence that y- you are in that tribe. Yeah, I think I think the way you guys went with with it was, didn't you guys bring in goods too and say, well, this also is sauce for the gander here because yeah, it's good? yeah, that's right. I mean, and and Rumkorf acknowledges this as, as well, but I think he doesn't really true uh, he doesn't appreciate how devastating it is to his argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, he acknowledges that the point applies that uh, equally that there must also therefore be greater goods out there in the universe on on alien planets than there is here on Earth. Um, as the amount, the Copernican, the underlying Copernican principle applied to goods and evils, um, it, it implies that as the amount and severity of evil increases, so does the amount and severity, if you want to call it that of goodness. Um, the, the distribution here is, is equal all throughout the universe, but then why assume that evil accrues more evidential weight against God? And not goodness accruing more evidential weight for God, right? Right. So why not think that the greater goods out there are such that they outweigh the greater evils? Uh, so it, it seems like the argument just doesn't change anything with respect to the evidential data set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just means that we have a larger data set. <laughs> you yeah. know? The, right. the assessment uh, of the amount of good and, good and evil in the universe as evidence for or against God just doesn't seem to change. Uh, so I – uh, I, I just don't see I, I don't feel the force of this argument at all. Mm-hmm. And and I don't even see why people already convinced of the evidential problem of evil think this is an, an added benefit. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's it's 
however you feel about the evidential problem of evil, it won't be changed by adding alien yeah. planets. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think that's right. That's so interesting. Cause it, I think you're right, man. I think that makes complete sense. And it's nice that you guys can use that precision to say, Hey, look, don't freak out here. It doesn't really add anything to the argument. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so let's say the aliens like come to you, Chad, and they say, Hey, we, we exist. Like what, what happened? Does, does anything change for you today? Not, not just about your Christian faith, just like for your life, man. What, what happens? <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot built into that. Like, are they bringing advanced technology? Hmm. Uh, are they going to give me, is this like just a personal encounter and they, they give me this advanced technology that I can use uh, to make myself invisible, like the Gaiji's ring? I don't know. What, what, what happens? I don't know. Well, uh, so, so so they come to you. I, I'm trying to think what we would do. If if I, if Elon Musk or whatever found life, I wonder what he's doing. Maybe he would try to commodify it or something. I kind of like Elon, but um, he would just, hey, hey, this is crazy. We're like you guys. We finally found you. What's up? Well, I mean, I guess a pretty sensible response would be what either it was either Pope Francis or or Billy Graham. One of them said, "I would ask them if they would be baptized." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd share the gospel with them. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. That's like I, I think that's what's happening in Ender's Game. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that's somewhat. I mean, Ender, Ender, not Ender's game, but maybe later down in the series, Orson Scott yeah. Card. I, I think cause he's, I think he's a Mormon. He likes to add yeah. different beliefs than his own. So I think right. I, I don't, can't remember if that series is, has a Christian theology or a different one. I do want to mention Ender's game in the context of uh, what I do think is a challenge. If if aliens exist. I think there is that would present a, a kind of conflict with Christian belief. Okay. And in the paper, we call this narrative conflict. Yeah. As we mentioned earlier, Christianity is is often described or understood to be a story, uh, a, a you know, a narrative of, of life, the universe, and everything. Yeah, a meta narrative, as some say. Meta narrative, greatest uh, story ever told, or could be told. Yeah. Now it's conceivable to me that if aliens exist. They disrupt the so- the story, so to speak. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's like a hole in the plot. Yeah. Uh, or it's or it's like a plot twist. And and here's an example I I like to use is uh, one of the best movies ever made is Shawshank Redemption. I don't think there's any debate about that. No, it's great. So imagine you're at like the denouement of the Shawshank Redemption, and then all of a sudden there's a camera angle that features ufos starting to invade the sky mm. you'd be like wait what <laughs> i thought i was watching a totally different movie right yeah, this right. plot was moving somewhere entirely else and all of a sudden it's like 180 degrees this is a this is a different movie now and we we think that if if aliens exist and they make their presence known to us especially if they're hostile with hostile intent then that constitutes what would be a narrative tension. That would be a plot twist that would be that we would need to make sense of. Yeah. So that's how we understand the main conflict to be between the reality of aliens and, and Christian belief. Yeah. 
Okay, and you you, you guys had talked about giving uh, a theodicy for certain things. Uh, there's f- four or five cases, uh, you know, if they show up and they're hostile towards us, and 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 they're hostile and actually uh, an ex- existential threat to us. Yeah. we'd need a, a theodicy for how this fits in the story, how God is still good and allows this. Right. Yeah. So in in the face of this tension, this narrative tension, we we call it, we'd need reason to think that aliens are compatible with, with the Christian narrative as we understand it. Mm-hmm. And so, and so we lay out five different scenarios and think about the tension involved, the narrative tension involved. So the first one is that aliens are so remote or undetectable that in any interaction is just impossible. Okay. No narrative tension at all. Aliens are so remote as to be physically inaccessible, but communication is possible. I really no narrative tension, just some interesting theological questions. Uh, Okay, physical interaction with aliens is possible, but they're peaceable. Again, just interesting theological questions arise from that. Physical interaction with aliens is possible. They're hostile, but not an existential threat. Mm-hmm. And then the, the greatest level of tension is if interaction is possible, they are hostile and they are an existential threat. So we see this in a lot of the sensationalist depictions of alien movies like War of the Worlds independence day mars attacks all, all these movies and and i think a scenario like that we do need some sort of theodicy some reason to think that an event like that would be compatible with the christian story we need to tell some sort of theodicy to that effect to, to alleviate that narrative tension yeah um so chad let's say that happens tomorrow do you do you have any kind of theodicy on hand that you're thinking like what, what, what do you make of that well, if it happens tomorrow, I mean, I mean, if it really happens, who knows how it would really play out? Right, right. But I am confident that, however, it does play out, a successful theodicy could be gathered from it. And why am I confident in that? Well, it's because I'm confident that Christianity is true. I have I have independent reason to think that Christianity is true. I, I there are uh, dozens of, of of good arguments for God's existence. There's uh, Again, dozens of good arguments for uh, the truth of Christianity. On top of yeah. that, so that that just doesn't affect that evidence. Yeah, I think that's a great point that a lot of people miss on the popular level. That it's kind of like this pendulum swing of now we have this evidence, and holy crap, there goes my Christianity. Okay, but now I'm coming back, and I think it's just interesting to to see it as, hey, look, I I have a total body of evidence, and maybe you've added some new stuff to my evidence now, which I have to think through. But I'm not just going to throw everything off wholesale because I've been presented with something difficult or challenging or new. Yeah. Right. Well, in the paper, we describe sort of three types of theodicies you could give to an event like that. One would be – and we use the example of Mel Gibson's movie Signs to illustrate this, and I won't describe it. But but here, the narrative tension of an event like that in Christianity is alleviated by situating an event like that within – the Christian story itself as it plays out on earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another type of theodicy would be like uh, it's it's typified in the Ender's Game saga where uh, the Christian story basically is expanded beyond earth to include all alien races. Mm -hmm. And then my favorite actually comes from Maria Doria Russell's book, The Sparrow. If you haven't read it, very, very good book. But in that, in this book, 
all the familiar themes of of holding fast in the midst of suffering, trust in the providence of God, sharing in God's love for all of creation and, and including aliens. Um, all, all of these, I mean, all the questions about life, the universe and everything, like nothing really changes. Yeah. Uh, so if the questions are the same, then then so are the answers. And and these are answers that I think we already have very good, good, good reason to believe are true. Yeah. So I, I just don't whether 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 we situate the event within the context of the Christian story on Earth, whether we expand the Christian story to include it or nothing really at all changes. I think either way, a successful theology, theodicy could be gathered from an event like that if it if it happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think I think those are those are really interesting points. So all these alien movies come to my to my head. Someone said on a podcast I was listening to recently, someone said a lot of our science fiction stories tell more about us than maybe anything else. That all these, um, especially C.S. Lewis wrote his his space trilogy kind of uh, in response to all the sci-fi that had all the aliens as monsters. Mm. But I think generally speaking, all these stories that have aliens as monsters this guy made an interesting point that it tells us about us. What do we do when we conquer people? Well, we take their stuff and we kill them. And <laughs> right. And so why wouldn't the aliens do that to us? But, but like we said earlier, why think that that's the case? Maybe they're not fallen or maybe they're fallen and they're better than us. And they want to spread what they've learned about God, or maybe that's part of God's plot to teach us something new through them or whatever the case. But we're assuming that they have this sinful human nature when they're not humans Right. Maybe even if they're made in the image of God, they're not earthlings like us. So, yeah. Why think that they're immediately they're they're conquerors oh, or monsters or whatever? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just chalk, chalk it up to just the fear of the unknown. You yeah. Know? That seems to be, be a pretty common motive for depicting, you know, what we don't know is always scary. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, man. So, so summing it all up, like doesn't seem like there's a, a conflict really at all between Christianity and, and aliens. No, I don't think so. And in the paper, we just systematically go through every point of conflict that we can think of, whether it's conflict with theism, conflict with the Bible, conflict with Christian tradition, conflict with Christian doctrines, conflict to the extent that it exacerbates the, the, the problem of evil, uh, and narrative conflict. And we, and we just don't find any conflict at all between Christian belief and the prospect of there being aliens. Yeah. Um, so, Chad, if so, so the Fermi paradox doesn't really move you and the evidence or the, the grainy videos that, that we've seen don't really move you either. Let's say there there's no life forms out in the whole universe um, from from a Christian theological perspective. Why do you think God made the universe so big and put us on this small pl- planet, which isn't at the center uh, of the universe? What, what do you make of that? A lot of times people will say the expanse of the universe kind of disproves this, that we're we're alone, right? Yeah. And, and it seems like such a waste of space, right? The argument from scale, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I'm not moved at all by that because mm-hmm. we need a universe this big. I mean, I think Craig makes this point somewhere. We need a universe this big uh, in order for uh, the heavy elements to be dispersed throughout it. Uh, that are is a prerequisite for uh, carbon life. Uh, yeah. And, and they're dispersed throughout the universe uh, by supernovae. 
and uh, you need a big universe to disperse uh, the, with supernovae activity to disperse heavy elements throughout the universe, which are a prerequisite for carbon life. So, I mean, that, that's just one example of why we need a big universe. I don't know. Why couldn't God also have aesthetic reasons for creating a universe like this? I mean, I mean, some of these these I used to make fun of pastors who just show a slide of, you know, some big space object or something, some like nebula out there and it's just absolutely breathtakingly gorgeous and they use that at, I mean, their their presentation of the design argument is nothing but that a presentation of like some deep space object yeah. i used to make fun of them for that but maybe maybe there's something real to that you know mm-hmm. maybe maybe there is something where i mean some renditions of the design argument are that you can directly perceive perceive design and maybe we can directly perceive design in these sorts of features, these aesthetic features, which are only possible if the universe is so big. Yeah. So that's that's maybe I don't know. There there could be. A, uh, I haven't really thought a lot about it, but I, I I have little doubt that I could come up with at least a dozen reasons for, for why a universe would have to be this big in order in order for not only for us to exist physical prerequisites for our existence, but also possible motivations beyond that, that are completely gratuitous that God might have just out of his own loving kindness and goodness. I think, the, so the second one, I probably heard it from pastors growing up a lot, but, but I've, I've heard it from some scientists and stuff talking about, you know, our place in the universe. Maybe maybe we're more in the the stands and we're in a, a good spot to view the, the universe. And yeah, that doesn't sound like an efficient God would do that, but why I think God is just so efficient that he's like, he has to limit his resources. He has to limit, uh, I have to make a really uh, efficient, small universe. Why can't, if he's God and created ex nihilo, why could he not make one for aesthetic reasons? Like you're saying to, to give us this sense of Holy cow, this universe is huge. And maybe even further still, this universe is huge and he still cares for us on this tiny dot. Um, Pascal does something weird where he's like, you know, where I don't know if, if, if I'm representing him even right, but he says, you know, we're halfway between the vastness of the cosmos and the, uh, the micro uh, world too, like the, the subatomic particles. I don't know if he even uses that language. I don't think that's right. I have no idea to, to, if we are halfway between those two, but, it, but Christians have been thinking about this one for a while. And I think you're right. The, I like the aesthetic a lot. Craig's arguments. Um, I don't know if I was even familiar with those beforehand, but that's, that's another interesting one. Um, Here, yeah. here's another thought I just had is uh, having a universe this big is a good way to motivate us or instill in us a deep desire to explore it and to uh, investigate the universe. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's Tom Morris in his book, Philosophy for Dummies, which is a great book, despite the title. Um, he's got this story in there where uh in the in the basement of his house his dad had this map of the world or whatever hung up on the wall and most of it was filled in but then parts of it were blank and written over the blank parts it just said unexplored hmm. and he said he looked at that map and it just filled him with awe and he was like he had this just this desire to go explore those unexplored areas and find it out and what's there investigate maybe the giant universes like that you know yeah. like uh, maybe maybe that's god's way of uh, of giving us a big blank space on a map and saying go explore hmm. that's good man i really like that all right well, well so last one last one which is really uh it's a follow-up on that but 
I was thinking about earlier as well. So Elon Musk wants to to bring us to Mars. Um, man, what do you think about humans actually going out and exploring it and colonizing other planets? Do you think that, you know, God said, this is the one you're supposed to exercise dominion over? Or was is that within our purview to go out and colonize other, other planets as well? Oh, I don't see any problem at, at all with that. I mean, if anything, the, the last point I made would, would be reason to do that. Yeah. Uh, would be to go out and explore God's creation and, and to claim it for Christ, you know, to, to yeah. sit and to market for Christ. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dirty defender of uh, colonization. I mean, I don't, I don't see any problem with, with colonization here on earth and I don't see it a pro- problem with colonizing other planets either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So claim it for Christ. That's, that's good. Um, well, dude, this has been fun, man. I, I love that, uh, that you guys have, you and Tyler have, have thought through this. Sorry to Tyler if he's listening and didn't, didn't get the invite. It's just easier with, with one person and Tyler's already been on twice. This is your second time. So now where you guys are even. Well, yeah, I mean, trying to double team it on a live interview, it does present its challenges. And, and Tyler and I have, have, have done this a few times now. And it, it does. It's got its own challenges. It, it, it kind of simplifies things when it's just one person. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So, dude, if uh, people like this and they like you, uh, where can they find some more of your stuff, your thoughts? Uh, man, I, I'm i so bad at this. I just have a Phil Papers page and an academia.edu page. Uh, maybe one day I'll get up a website, but I'm really just not all that interested in I don't know. We're going to have to make one for you and just put it up uh, on your behalf. Yeah, maybe so. But yeah, uh, yeah, I've got a few other things coming out um, in the near future. If you're interested, Uh, I've got an article coming out on, on recent work slash overlooked work on traditional arguments for theism. Okay. So that's something to look out for. Uh, Yeah. I'm thinking about writing a book on theistic arguments. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's coming down the pike. That'd be huge. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm still here. <clears throat> yeah, dude, that would be huge. I love your work, man, and um, I'd love to get you back on. We talk more aliens. We talk all sorts of stuff, especially with you, man. So uh, really? I would I would recommend uh, if people are interested in Chad, uh, go just search him on YouTube. He's got he's starting to rack up some interviews, some some dialogue, some conversations. He's got like a four hour, five hour, six hour uh, live stream with Cameron Bertuzzi over there on capturing Christianity. Uh, I think it's like 150 arguments for God's existence. Insane, which I keep thinking about every now and then I'll randomly think, I don't know if that's ever been done in the history of the world before. You might've put forth the longest, most like comprehensive case that's ever been put forward ever. Have you thought about that? Yeah, and I I don't think there's any doubt that that's true. I mean, not not. I mean, I'm not tooting my horn. I think the the collection of theistic arguments there that I used to have on my website, which I'm which I'm trying to revise and kind of tweak and fine tune, is the most comprehensive list of of theistic arguments in existence. Which is crazy, man. Like that's except for like all the aliens over in Alpha Centauri. Oh yeah, one, yeah. We don't we don't know what they've collected, right? right, uh, right. The arguments that they've they've come up with. That's right. That's awesome. All right. So um, this has been Parker's Pensies. Lord willing, we'll we'll have another uh, episode with Chad on. He's the man. Um, but for now, it's going to have to do it. Uh, as always, all glory to God. <laughs>